Most unwanted. I've been waiting 23 years to say that. Nice. Smoke. Smoke. Are you smoking yet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're yeah, we're gonna be talking a lot about smoking because this is the FBI's most unwanted, and I'm Matt. I'm Justin. And today we are talking about season four, episode seven, Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man, uh, directed by James Wong, written by Glenn Morgan, originally aired November 17th, 1996. And this one is a uh, pretty interesting one because it is maybe about the life and history of the smoking man <laughs> so uh, it takes uh it took me a minute i mean i realized like going into it what it was going to be like mm -hmm. uh but it's v the way it starts off which just made me laugh because it's just fro hickey it's like talking about the smoking man <laughs> yeah uh here's an interesting piece of behind the scenes trivia however uh this episode was inspired by the DC graphic novel Lex Luthor, The Unauthorized Biography. Really? Yep. Uh, he wanted the episode to show that the smoking man was... Um, Glenn Morgan, that is, wanted to show that the smoking man was extremely dangerous. Uh, it was to be emphasized by the episode's original ending, uh, where... The smoking man was supposed to kill Frohickey, uh, but the executive staff vetoed that idea and were like, "No, you can't have him kill Frohickey." So, Good, yeah. because need that horny little bastard around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this episode contains several references to space above and beyond a fox series that morgan and wong had co-created uh they were just in jokes uh for themselves uh the name of the smoking man's novel take a chance was an in joke uh the name jack colquitt uh that kind of stuff so they had a lot of in jokes in this episode um and davis William B. Davis, the, the actor who plays the smoking man, he was excited that the show wanted to focus on his character, but he was confused as to why a character who killed not only John F. Kennedy, but also Martin Luther King Jr. would worry about minor things like preventing the Buffalo Bills from winning the Super Bowl. It's so, like, there's so many questions. <laughs> like, so many things. It's like, as long as I'm alive, by <laughs> damn the Buffalo Bills win a Super Bowl. We'll talk about that. Uh, Chris Carter yeah. said, I had to speak with Bill several times. I spent hours with him on the telephone talking about the character because the actor felt that the episode really made the character something that it wasn't. 
I tried to explain to him, as I think Jim and Glenn were trying to express, that even if your mission in life is a destroyer, that you still have some hope in the back of your mind that you can be a creator, and that this, all of a sudden, this vanity is his vanity, and we see that so clearly here, and it makes him sort of a silly person. <laughs> so, we'll talk about this, because I'm... Uh, I have some thoughts about the story that this episode tells and whether or not it is a real story that is uh, about the smoking man's life. Um, and I'm sure you might as well, but we'll talk about yeah. it as we go on. So the smoking man, uh, we the, the episode starts with him. He goes into like an abandoned room. Uh, he has a sniper rifle and some surveillance equipment. And he is spying on a meeting between Mulder, Scully, and the lone gunman. And I think it's really funny because it starts off almost immediately with uh, a little bit of kind of silliness. Because Frohickey is like, I'm not saying another word until we turn on like the anti-surveillance, you know, cloaking. Level 7 Level 7 thingy. And immediately the... uh, the smoking man flips a switch on his surveillance equipment that is like in something like in case of surveillance blocking equipment or something. It's the equivalent of when your kids playing pretend and it's like my my armor is bulletproof and it's like well I have bullet I have armor proof bullets. It's it, that equivalent. The thing I thought of was uh, I don't know why I thought of this, but it struck me that it was kinda like uh, shark repellent bat spray. Yeah, it really is. Because <laughs> uh, immediately then, uh, Frohickey, you can hear him saying, nothing nothing in creation can get past this, and, and of course, <laughs> or no known creation or, or something like that. Boy, my, yeah. uh, my recording volume is up way high. I just noticed. Let me see if I can turn that down real quick. Holy shnikes. My, I was like spiking out my, I don't know why it was turned up so high. <coughs> Um, our three listeners are going to be like, "Ow, my ears!" Yeah, our our, our three listeners are going to be very, very upset. Um, so yeah, so basically, then Mulder and Scully are like, "I don't understand what is so important that you had to get us here," and they basically say that they Frohickey claims he has discovered information about the smoking man's life, um, and so we learn that. His father was executed as a communist spy before he was even born. And that his mother died of lung cancer when he was just an infant. And so that he was raised in a bunch of orphanages. And so then we flash back to 1962 and it is Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And we meet up with a young version of The Smoking Man, played by Chris Owens. Remember this actor. He'll be back. Um, And The Smoking Man is at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And he's in his bunk reading. And another soldier comes in. He's reading The Manchurian Candidate, which is interesting, I think, based on what the rest of this episode kind of turns into uh even though he doesn't become a a manchurian candidate he kind of turns into an underground assassin um anyway we find out that uh 
this other soldier who comes in and is like, why don't you just watch the movie? And we find out the smoking man really likes books. He doesn't like movies. He says he'd rather read a really a hundred really terrible books than watch one really great movie. Uh, and the, this other soldier shows him a picture of his wife and his one-year-old son. And we find out that this is Bill Mulder, uh, Fox's father. And uh, that Fox's first word was JFK. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the smoking man he gets summoned away uh, to attend a meeting with a general and several strange men in suits and uh, two of them are smoking the general's one of them and uh, even though we call him the smoking man because as of yet he has no other name in this meeting the general offers him a cigarette and he says he doesn't smoke smoke Smoke. Um, I also really love fake brands. I've, I think I've probably mentioned this before, but I love that Morley's are very clearly just Marlboros, but they didn't yeah. have the rights to the name Marlboro. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same package, the same font, everything. They're just like, we're, we're too lazy for this. <laughs> it's, it's clear as day, whatever. I love fake... Like, I hate them, but I also love them because they're just so ridiculous. Uh, it, it reminds me of the Family Guy bit where they're, like, escaping prison and everyone's just on a train cart and Glenn's getting mad at everyone because, like, I can't wait to stop and get myself a 10-piece uh, chicken uh, chicken McChonkers or whatever and, a, <laughs> and like a big a big man and Glenn's like God we know what we're talking about they know it yeah. why can't we just say it yep uh, so in this room basically the general says that uh, well first they asked the cigarette uh, smoking man a bunch of questions about his his possible involvement in several military operations he says he's not involved uh in any of them and then they kind of talk about they think his father was an extraordinary man that even though he was a communist sympathizer and acted against the united states that because he felt very strongly about his beliefs and acted on actually acted on them to make them happen that that made him uh, extraordinary and they felt that the smoking man was also extraordinary and they hire him or in, not hire him but like uh, voluntold, volunteer him they ask him to volunteer basically to assassinate John F. Kennedy <laughs> by the way this episode is split into parts the first one uh, the first part is called uh, what was it things really went well at Dealey Plaza I think is yeah. the name of the first one. Uh, so, they say they have a patsy. And so then we meet up with the smoking man. He is meeting Hiding up. Hiding in a damn garage. <laughs> well, yeah. It, 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 well, he no, he lives, or he's friends with Lee Harvey Oswald, essentially. And yeah. uh, they, they kind of yada 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 over some stuff just because uh the actual history of how lee harvey oswald came to kill john f kennedy is is really long but they they drop hints in there that they are both 
in the same kind of Cuban communist sympathizer group that he and Lee are friends from this group because they talk about how, um, you know, they say, I, I have the, I, I got the curtain rods, Lee, uh, make sure that, you know, you drop them for our friend. Our, and Lee says something about, you know, uh, defenders of Castro and, and yeah. stuff like, have to stick together. And so he sets Lee Harvey Oswald up uh, to and be- takes his cigarettes because he told him to stop smoking. Well, yeah, I, that part was weird. But Lee, yeah, Lee is smoking when he comes over and the cigarette smoking man is like, hey, like you shouldn't smoke those. I'm reading a lot of articles that say those will kill you. And Lee agrees. But then on his way out, hands the cigarette smoking man his pack of Morley's for some reason. Yeah. Um, okay. And so he sets Lee up to be in the book depository as JFK drives by and he goes underneath the uh, underneath the street through the sewer and shoots JFK through a grate and Lee realizes he's a patsy and goes to the movie theater to hide. You know the 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 real history. He shoots that police officer, and he goes to the to theater to hide, and he gets caught in the movie theater. And that's where the cigarette smoking man has his first cigarette. As the movie also has the guy smoking. Can you fucking imagine how terrible it would be to go to the movies if they still allowed smoking in theaters? I, any place that still allows smoking, I'm not a huge fan of. I know Vegas has their own thing or whatever, but man, I just oh yeah, just being in the casinos it. is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um. So then we go to the second part. It's uh, five years later, and he is writing an adventure novel. He's using a pen name, Raoul Bloodworth. And he's writing, and I like that the second part is all in black and white. It's just stylistically different from the rest. I don't know why. I don't see anything here in the, wait, maybe in here in my notes it says something about. Why they chose to be Why they chose only that segment to be black and white. No, no. Um. No, I don't see anything, unfortunately. Um, and this, while we're talking about it, I think this is interesting. Chris Owens, the, the, the actor who played the young smoking man, he spent a lot of time studying how Davis smoked so that he would smoke the same way, which I think is uh, just a, a good choice when you're trying to. But anyway, he's listening to uh, Dr. L- Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on the radio. And this is when uh, Martin Luther King Jr. gives his uh, speech. It's called uh, Beyond Vietnam, A Time to Break Silence. And he argues that communism is a judgment against our failure to make democracy real. And the smoking man looks up from his novel and goes, Oh, why did you have to do that? Yes. And so the next scene is him having a meeting in a room with three uh, men. 
including I didn't know this. Uh, they don't say it in the episode. It's here in like when I look up the the back. One of the men in the room is J. Edgar Hoover. Oh really? Yeah, I I don't know. They don't. Uh, I don't think they address the fact that he's J. Edgar Hoover. Um, no, because the the other two guys, the, the guys, they have like the head of the military, mm-hmm. and then two other guys that I assumed were like, like, just like side men that he's hired that are also idiots. Yeah, uh, but they essentially say that like we have to do more to stop Martin Luther King Jr. And we kind of find out here that. Uh, the smoking man, he says, you know, like, look, if this was just about civil rights, I would vote for Dr. King for, like, president, basically. Like, I respect him a lot. But now he's trying to convince, they use the word Negroes, uh, they're trying, because it was the 60s, um, He's trying to convince Negroes not to fight in Vietnam, and if they don't fight in Vietnam, we're going to lose, and if we lose in Vietnam, then that's the first domino, meaning the first domino to losing to communism, basically. Yeah. And so these guys, they're like, well, um, we could do another, like, (laughs) suicide letter, and he's like, the suicide letter was stupid, like, it didn't work. Um... Then another guy says, um, "We can put his. We can make him look like he's having sex with a white woman yeah, in a we movie can use, of our choice. We can use previous footage of Dr. <laughs> King and edited him into a film to make it look like he's seeing a white woman who's yes. not his wife." And the smoking man is like, "No, like, look. The only thing we have left to do is take a more intense measure." Uh, meaning that we've got to kill him. And so they're like, okay, well, who do we get? And he's like, I'll do it. Like, I respect him too much to let anybody else kill him. And we'll get another Patsy. And they do. And he kills Martin Luther King. And then he gets his uh, first rejection letter for his first novel, which is really a harsh rejection letter. But did you say, did you like he's like the yeah. writing is crap and like I it's no no one would ever believe this. No one would ever idiot. Yeah, because it turns out he's like basically writing his fake character that is himself. Essentially. Yeah. Oh, alien assassinations, what the hell? Yeah, and it, also in this meeting he has before he kills uh, Dr. King, uh, they, they say, should we run it by the president? And he says, no, I have taken a lot of effort to make sure that no president knows I even exist. <laughs> So, he's gotten super shady in the five years since he killed JFK. <laughs> it's... Can you imagine living that kind of life? Like, trying so hard to keep, like, you as a person under wraps so you're, like, basically a boogeyman? 
I think back then it was easy. Well, uh, yeah, we didn't have really much of the internet. Right. Everything I think, was just word of mouth. I think without internet and surveillance cameras, it was super, super easy because I was just... Um, I was just listening to something about the serial killer Albert Fish, who yeah. was like a crazy fucked up dude who looked very distinctive. He literally had the nickname the Gray Man because all people, he, he was also a, a child molester, but all the children that he molested, all they could really remember about him was the fact that he was very pale and had gray hair and a gray mustache. But he uh, he was in like the late 1800s, early 1900s, and he moved around from state to state and just didn't tell people his real name. And that was essentially yeah. all he had to Because it's not like the states talked to each other, and it's not like there were photos of him like everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? So even in the yeah, 60s, oof. that is something that now it's impossible, I think. Challenge accepted. No, no, no. Unless no. you like drop completely off the grid and go live in the woods. Yeah. Oh, which would suck. Would it though? In a way, would it at this rate? Boy, I'd hate not being able to go to the store. <laughs> True. Like build your own stores. <laughs> Not even for, like, fun stuff, but, like, just, like, to the grocery store, like... Yeah, that would probably kill it for me, too, be, like, the whole, like, I need to get food. Yeah. I can't hunt. Yeah, that would not be good. Uh, so, for the next segment, uh, the most wonderful time of the year, we skip ahead to 1991, and this is the segment, actually, where I feel most bad for him as, like, a character... Yeah. But this is also the segment where I start to feel like this might not be his real life story. Because this is also the segment where, like we talked about earlier, he's meeting with his staff. And they're talking about how he's controlling literally everything. Like... Uh, they discuss the Anita Hill controversy, which is was a whole thing that I and um, that he rigged the Rodney King trial that led to all the LAP the all the LA riots and the, the, the there like the phone rang and it was like the, the Saddam Hussein yeah the, the uh, phone the, rang and it was like Saddam Hussein on line one and he's yeah. like I'll call him back. And then uh, he obviously, he's saying that uh, one of his staff members is saying he's getting the Oscar nominations ready. Yeah. Like he's rigging the Oscars. Uh, he's saying he doesn't care who wins the Super Bowl as long as the Buffalo Bills never win while he's alive. Yeah, uh, they talked about how he rigged like one of the Olympics. He rigged the Miracle on Ice hockey yeah. match where the uh, by uh, drugging the Soviet goaltender. Yeah. <laughs> like this is too much. This is the point. Like up till now, I'm like, oh, this really could be this guy's life, and now I'm like, there's no fucking way this is this guy's <laughs> life. Like nobody right. controls this much. <laughs> like it's. Um, and then 
he gets depressed because he finds out that Gorbachev uh, resigned and that the Soviet Union's over. And one of the guys even says, well, there's no more enemies, which is a stupid kind of statement really to think that the russians were the only although uh skip ahead from 1991 to now we're back full circle the the smoking man should be getting out of retirement right about now and going back to work because the uh, who says he is that's true <laughs> um because the 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 well by now he's probably dead of lung cancer well we'll get to the future yeah. of the smoking man but um but he's leaving for Christmas because it's December 24th. And actually, uh, this is where you start to feel kind of bad for them. Or for him, rather, because they're all like, hey, we're all um, we're all going home to like hang out with our families for Christmas. Like, you're welcome to come with us. Like, you can visit with one of us if you want. And he's like, no, no, I have to go visit family. And, of course, we know he has no family. And he leaves. And he, well, also, this is the first reference they make to Mulder. Because somebody says, hey, that spooky kid is, like... He's getting too close at stuff already. Yeah. And they're like, oh, hey. He's like, that's mine to worry about. And he goes all the way down to the basement and goes by Mulder's door. Uh, he gives all his men ties for Christmas. Um... They're the exact same tie. <laughs> uh, and he, he's like, I, I have to go home and see family. And he goes home. He's gotten another rejection letter. He's still trying to write a book all these years later and failing. Which, again, feel kind of bad for him because it's like he's just got a drawer full of rejection letters and all he wants to do is get one of his books published. Not only does he have that, but we haven't really stated that in each one of these flashbacks so far, he has Mulder Sr.'s photo of of his wife and kid. Good point. Fox. Yeah. Like, he, like, pulls it out when he frames the guy for... Before he frames the guy for Martin Luther King. Good point. And then he pulls it out while he's working on, like, his... After looking at all those, like, failed... Uh, those, like letters just everyone rejecting him well and he, he I don't know how much I want to say <laughs> well basically it's sort of giving the impression that like maybe he's cause even uh, I think it's during the Christmas scene when he's typing his book because uh, sometimes they show what he's writing and this is the scene where he writes like you know yeah. sometimes like his seclusion talking about his character but obviously he's writing about himself you know sometimes his seclusion the the life he chose of you know loneliness to save the world bothers him but like if not who if not him then who would it be but still sometimes he wishes he could go back and have a second chance yeah, and that kind of makes sets it up like maybe he keeps looking at Bill Mulder's uh, photo of his wife and kid to be like, man, like I should have had a wife and kid, almost. But that also, but it also raises the question 
because it's never been fully, as far as I remember, and I'm assuming it pops in later, because Mulder's dad mm-hmm. died, like dies in the show. Yeah, uh, he died pretty early on. It, yeah, so it's just kind of bizarre that it's like he he basically stole Mulder's photo as a remnant, like to reminisce about what he could have had if he chose a different path. Well, also, let's not forget that a uh, little while back, the when the smoking man visited Mulder's mother right before she had a stroke, he insinuated that they were still friends into adulthood, him and Bill, and that they used to, like, have parties at this lake house and that yeah. maybe he and uh, Mulder's mom... He insinuates that maybe there was something more going on between them. So, yeah, that's also something yeah. we can't we can't forget. Anyway, while he's at home writing his book and being sad, he gets a call from Deep Throat, who we haven't seen in a while, but this is a flashback. And Deep Throat says, you will not believe what we just got for Christmas. And he goes to the site of a UFO wreck. And uh, Deep Throat is basically upset because he's like, look, this is, this is really terrible. Like, we, we have confirmation that, like, Russia and China, and they all saw it. Like, they monitored it and everything like that. This is not good. And, oh, by the way, uh, there was a survivor. It's critically injured, and we have it on life support. And so they go in to see it, and they talk about the fact that um, well, the smoking man talks about the fact. He's like, you know, no one's ever going to know who we are. They're not going to build statues to us. They're not going to write books about us. But, like, no two men have changed so much of history than just us. And now we're going to have to change it again. And uh, Deep Throat tries to hand him a gun. And he's like, you know, like, if we leave it alive then that will help Bill Mulder's project. It'll move it ahead by years if this one is left alive. And Deep Throat says there was some sort of international agreement that everybody that signed it, it was from the uh, United Nations Security Council, said that if you come across an extraterrestrial biological entity that is alive, you have to immediately kill it. Why? Who knows? That's a. It's such a bizarre like rule. It's like, all right, guys, remember, you see an alien, fucking eat, like, kill it. You just immediately. Well, up to this point, though, don't forget that they have been shown to not be that friendly. True. So we have to kind of think that maybe that the reason they do that is because none of the EBEs are friendly. Uh, But here's another weird thing where uh, Deep Throat says to him, remember, I'm the liar, you're the killer. And the smoking man said, oh, and by the way, through this whole segment, the smoking man has a nicotine patch on his neck. He's trying to quit. (laughs) And uh, so a couple weird things happen in the next couple minutes. Um, 
the but first the smoking man says to him well your lies have killed more people than i've killed in my lifetime i've never killed anybody i have a chance like, to wait, go my entire life i'm like deep throat knows you've killed are you what are you doing why are you gaslighting yeah, what are you driving at here we saw you well i think deep throat has probably seen him kill people yeah. or at least knows he's killed people and he's trying to like gaslight deep throat because he says i have a chance to go my entire life without killing anybody or anything and so they flip a coin to see who will go in and shoot it and deep throat loses and he goes in, and just as he's going in to kill the alien, the smoking man peels off his nicotine patch for no apparent reason and <laughs> lights up a butt and starts smoking. It's... I don't know. It's so b fucking bizarre. <laughs> it's weird. It's a weird choice. Uh, but he kills the alien. So, yeah. And then we skip ahead to... 1992 just a few months because that was at christmas time and this is in march of 1992 we are back to the very first episode of the series where the smoking man is in the meeting where scully is being assigned to the x-files to spy on Mulder, and then he eavesdrops on her first meeting with Mulder. we hear Nobody down here but the FBI is most unwanted. And, you know, they're talking and everything. And he's listening and smoking. And then we skip ahead again to 1996. And the smoking man's in his apartment. And he gets a letter. And his novel has been accepted by a publisher. It's going to be serialized in a magazine. Which he's rightfully wicked excited about this is what he's been trying to accomplish since the 1960s and it's now the 1990s so he's been trying for 30 years to get published and he's wicked excited he calls the publisher and the publisher mentions something that comes back to bite him in the ass the publisher says yeah. something uh about you'll have to relinquish a little bit of editorial control or creative control. One, Create, it was creative little, control because he started, he started getting all excited and started giving notes about like his artwork. He wanted like art. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, he goes, well, no, like we're we're excited. We're gonna pay, you know, and everything. And but you're gonna have to give up just a little bit of creative control. And he, of course, goes, yes, yes, of course, because he's just so excited to get published. And so, uh, on the day it gets published. He knows he's, it's getting published. He types up a resignation letter. I don't know who he would give it to. I don't know who his boss is. He seems to he's be his, his own boss. Right. He seems to be his own boss. I, don't, I guess he's <laughs> typing it for um, the... Uh, probably for the, the bureau syndicate. of like well, the other... Yeah, the syndicate crew. I was probably th for the syndicate and like maybe he works at the fbi or at the pentagon like it, it they don't really establish who his boss is uh but he writes up a 
a resignation letter because he's like, shit, I'm finally going to be, after like a lifetime of killing people and being like this shadowy government figure, I'm just going to write books for a living. And he even throws out his cigarettes. He's like, I'm going to be a new person now. And this is another part where I feel really bad for him because he goes to the newsstand. He's like ready to have like this whole new life. And he goes to the newsstand, finds the magazine. And when he opens it to read it, they've changed the entire ending that he wrote. And uh, so I guess if his novel was serialized, this is probably not the first issue that now I'm curious if this is the first issue his first story was in or the last issue because he says that's not the ending I wrote this would be the first one because because uh, he's so excited and I guess he just never hurt because like even the guy who uh, like the postman he gets it from was like when he's like yeah it's for on this magazine he's like I don't know why I don't would read that you trash. want that yeah. it's garbage yeah yeah so he's finding out for the first time seeing it that they've changed which I think is weird just from his standpoint that like yeah yeah he relinquished some creative control but you would think he would at least see it before it goes out yeah which is another kind of hint I think that like maybe this isn't entirely real because I do feel like the magazine I don't know I don't know how it works because I guess maybe Stephen King would know a lot of his books got published in like or a lot of his stories got published in men's magazines maybe he would know if they if he would see them before publishing day or not. I feel like that would be that would have to be the thing. Like it's just be like just so they're like, hey, just so you know, this is what you're looking at in terms of uh, of what what to expect. Like it just doesn't make sense. It's like you would like the very first time you see it as a creator for it. Yeah. Like you, that's the first time you see it is when it's actually out on the floor. Yeah, that seems a little odd. Which again, I think is another hint that maybe this isn't real. Um, so he gets mad and upset and he buys a pack of Morley's and he goes and he sits on a bench and a homeless dude comes along and digs a box of chocolates out of the trash and he does a bitter, angry, satirical version of the Forrest Gump, Life is Like a Box of Chocolates. Uh, where essentially he's like, yeah, like, it's basically cheap, meaningless gift that nobody asked for. And, like, maybe there's a peanut butter cup in there, but it's that, that, and that's good, but it doesn't last. And all you're left with is, like, the gross candy and, like, all this other (laughs) shit. (laughs) And then at the end, all you're left with, if you manage to choke down all the bad ones, is just a box full of useless brown paper. And he gets up and walks away. While also ripping up his resignation letter and throwing it in the trash. Yep. And so then it comes back to the present. And this is where we... I mean, there's been hints, but we do hear Frohickey tell Mulder. He says, this is based on 
a purported, this is based on a, a supposedly fictional story I read in a magazine which I subscribe to. So how he connected that to the smoking, because obviously the lone gunman, they have all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories. And I guess this is like a magazine that writes fictional quote unquote, quote unquote, quote unquote stories that are based on real things. Well, also the front of it had a woman with big boobs on it. Well, it was so a of course, magazine. Yeah. Of course, Fro Hickey was reading. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, do you think that was the magazine that Fro Hickey read it in? Yeah, I think he read the story. He read the stories of the Smoking Man because they had the rights and they still posted everything they had, like. And then he the changed contracts because this was a nineteen. This was November nineteen ninety six air date. And then 1996 in this in story was what ah that would make sense because yeah you like, know I've seen him. this episode like a shitload of times and I never once thought <laughs> of that it makes it makes complete sense like he is like oh all this stuff from this fictional guy Bloodworth or whatever he, he like it sounds very familiar. <laughs> Because the smoking man was writing stories about his own life. Yeah, even and passing like the them publisher, off as fiction. Yeah, yeah, the, because the publisher, like, on the phone was like, assassinations, aliens, like, this has everything that we want, like, we want in our you magazine. You have a wild imagination. Yeah. He says, well, I hope it's not too wild, my, my imagination. Yeah. Oh, my, how in the hell did I never catch that? Oh, my God. You'd be surprised, like... Uh, I, there's stuff that I like will go back and rewatch I've seen hundreds of times and something will pop and I'll be like oh you're never absolutely right it. it was a men's magazine that he published in and Frohickey would absolutely <laughs> read men's magazines he's a pervert yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Frohickey says uh, that he's going to investigate and verify the story. And as he leaves, the smoking man aims his rifle at him, has an absolutely clear shot. But he says to himself, I could kill you anytime I wanted, but today is not that day. And he... I Now you have me wondering if he didn't kill Frohickey because Frohickey actually read the story in the magazine. <laughs> I mean, it's possible because it, that was a line he put somebody in. Somebody read his work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> He's like, I have a fan. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the behind the scenes reason is because he was supposed to kill Fro Hickey and that idea was nixed by, like, higher ups. But now in story... Because it doesn't actually, in story, make a lot of sense that he doesn't shoot Fro Hickey. But at the same time, I feel like even in story, if even if it wasn't the case of the magazine, I feel like him taking him out while everyone's having this meeting would actually do more harm for him. Because it's like, oh, someone would, caught wind of us, so true. we're on the it right path. That's true. It would be super convenient if he got killed literally right then. 
Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. And uh, that's musings of a cigarette smoking man. Uh, I really like it. I, I think it's a really cool piece to just kind of get the background of like one of your main bad guys to kind of in a weird way try to get you to sympathize for him mm -hmm. for at least a little bit yep. of like this narcissistic killer actually had a a plan to get out and we just wanted to be a creative person mm -hmm. uh, but everything fails and it feels like he just is like well I guess I'm just trapped in this in this life forever kind of deal mm -hmm. um, overall really enjoyed it I give it an A yeah I, I love this one. It's uh, really interesting. It's really creative. It really fleshes out this character who still, by the end of the episode, doesn't have a real name. Yeah. He's still just the cigarette smoking man. But you kind of know a lot more about him if everything in the story is actually his, his real-life history than he's been through a lot of... I still, at the end of the day, am not sure, mostly because of the scene in the Christmas one where he's fixing everything down to the Oscars and who wins the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, that makes me think it might not really be his real life, but it's close enough to what his the character's real life story probably is that it's... it's still like a really good look at him beyond just the smoking man who's always there uh running things behind all the plots going on in the show you know yeah i think that's partially like yeah we're watching it we're also listening to it from the from both him and also slightly getting stuff from frohick yeah so who does, who's to say that the stuff on the Christmas is just the stuff Frohickey is listing off? That's true. That, yeah, that's true, too. Like, Fro, the, the lone gunmen do have a tendency, even within the world of the X-Files, where uh, weird shit really does happen and there are really conspiracy theories. Like, even Mulder thinks they're above and beyond like and if Mulder thinks you're above and beyond then... uh yeah this is this is a solid a plus for me i really like this episode a lot all right let's see next episode is tunguska and it is a pretty uh dense uh, mythology episode. Sweet. Yep. La happens in the next episode. So, something like oh, that. Great. Am I going to have to pull out a notebook for this? Uh, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so, that's everybody's homework for next time. Tunguska. Sweet. Yeah. Later. Later. The FBI's Most Unwanted is a production of Two Broke Geeks Entertainment and is part of the Atomic Geekdom Network. Find the flagship Two Broke Geeks podcast wherever you download podcasts or online at twobrokegeeks.com. You can find the Atomic Geekdom Network at atomicgeekdom.com. 
Our artwork is by Justin Kowalski. You can find him on Twitter at J underscore Rocka. Our theme music is by Tony Longworth. You can find him on Twitter at Tony Longworth or on Facebook, Tony Longworth Dark Composer. You can help out the podcast by subscribing and leaving us a review. Thanks. Thanks.